travel, entertainment, fashion, photography, social media, business, music. This is Chats with Max. Hey, what's up, Aaron? What's going on, How Max? How you doing, man? Good, good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. Uh, by the way, guys, this is another episode of Chats with Max. We got Aaron Thorne this week, founder of Yo-Yo Mats. He crowdfunded just over $200,000 online. And I, honestly, I think that's crazy. And it wasn't off that many backers. So you had a lot of generous people no. behind that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and uh, Aaron, he's been doing a professional modeling since uh, his teen years. And he's pushing about 10 years on his career right now with that. Yeah, yeah. Right? going on. I guess technically going on 11. Yeah, started when I was 17. So, yeah, yeah. So he has an awesome story about how he built this company, Yo-Yo Mats, a self-folding or self-rolling Yo-Yo. Yeah, self-rolling. Yoga yeah, yeah, mat. yeah, yeah. Yeah, we're going to get into some of his uh, tips and tricks when it comes to marketing and branding and also how we got the whole thing started and uh, rocked the modeling career at the same time. So I'm excited to have you on, man. Cool. Yeah, me too. Anyways, though, uh, so Aaron, where are you from and where is this all... Uh where is this whole story of Aaron started from? Uh, originally, I'm from a town called Korsgold, which no one knows what that is or where it's at. Um, it's about 15 miles just south of uh, Yosemite National Park. Mm-hmm. It's one of those towns that's like, uh, if, you, if you go through it and blink, you're done. Like there's, there's nothing there, like 2,000 people. Um, my high school was like a combination of five or six smaller towns because it's the only way you could have a high school that was big enough to actually have kids at yeah. <laughs> because the town Especially is... Especially for sports. Exactly, yeah. So the town is so small. There's only like two colleges that are rivals and even those are like an hour and like 30 apart just to get to one to the other. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a super small town in Northern California. Awesome. Yeah. And uh, what was life living out there like compared to uh, this glamorous LA life that we're kind of accustomed um, to out here? Uh, completely opposite. Um, you know, everybody up there, you, like all my high school, most of my high school friends, you know, they're, they're still there. They're, they're already married. They got kids, they own a house, but you work for the park service. You're a firefighter or you're in construction or, or something of that sort. Mm-hmm. Um, even branching out into modeling, like uh, kind of give you an idea because I, I left the kind of norm and went and moved to New York and did these things with modeling. I actually made the local newspaper because like no <laughs> one's done that. Like, like yeah. no one's got out and actually done that. And it was like, like uh, YHS grad models in Milan, like this headline. It was, to me, it was hilarious. How old were you so, when that first happened out in Milan? Uh, I moved out to Milan uh, at 18, I guess. Yeah. Between 18 wow. and 19 is when I first started uh, kind of making. Did you uh, graduate before there. that? or uh, I graduated at 17. Uh, my birthday's in September. So yeah. I was always the youngest kid in the class. Um, so yeah. Okay, well, let's rewind. I want to get some of the, back, the backstory of your modeling career for the audience. Yeah. So... Uh, from what I read, you kind of started by just getting scouted by uh, Abercrombie in the mall, or <laughs> yeah. So Fresno is the closest like major city with an actual mall, uh, mm. and I was yeah, I was just shopping some stores, and they were like, hey, we got some some uh, things coming up where we're looking for a guy to stand out in front, and you know, to me, it's like yeah. that stuff you saw when you went into the city, but then you went back home and you know you did construction and stuff like that wasn't you, you know, that wasn't mm-hmm. where I grew up. People didn't do that. Yeah. So uh, when I got, I was like, oh well, let me kind of see where it goes. And I wasn't exactly sure what I wanted to do after high school at this point. Um, I knew I wanted to do something with inventing and being an inventor in patent design. Yeah. Um, perhaps maybe start in architecture. I wasn't exactly sure just because construction was something that I was familiar with. Definitely. Um, and because then, of your dad or? Yeah, exactly. He okay. was a tile contractor as well as a mason. So uh, it was something that I knew I could easily kind of segue into. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I, uh, I took the the job at Abercrombie just on the weekends doing like the whole corny like shirtless well, modeling yeah, thing out in front of the store. Fun because <laughs> I worked at Abercrombie too. So you were like... Just 
just main shirtless guy in yeah. front of the store. Yeah, yeah. That paid the most from what I saw. It, it, it did. <laughs> yeah. It did, yeah. <laughs> That's um, awesome. But uh, but like literally I would have friends from high school like specifically make a trip to Fresno just to come like mess with me at the store because it was so like, oh, Aaron's, you know, trying to be a model thing. Yeah. Um, but it did plant a seed and I wanted to kind of be like, well, I wonder, you know, if these other guys can do it. Um modeling, then, you know, maybe I can. So I, uh, I started kind of putting my feelers out, looking for agencies, things like that. Ended up winning a, uh, a ticket essentially to go to the IMDB show in New York, where you go and you kind of showcase yourself and, yeah. and you, uh, uh, meet with agents and managers and all that stuff. And from there I got signed with Milan and, and, uh, went, went there. <laughs> I mean, that's so crazy. That was the right on the cusp of the beginning of it. I yeah. guess. Yeah. I mean, it's honestly crazy. I mean, for anyone that's not familiar with kind of the modeling world, like people usually aspire to get to Milan. So starting there is really rare, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at the time I didn't know, honestly, yeah. at the time I was like, I know you're probably just going with the flow like Milan. I had never been on an airplane before and getting that ticket to go to the IMDb show in New York was my first time getting on an airplane at, uh, at 18 Mm. essentially. So like that was, that was how like unknown I, I I knew what I was getting into. I had no idea. I was just like, well, let's go try it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that probably held back a lot of nerves that you would have had if you understood what was really going on. Absolutely. Because even now I'll get more nervous if I am going out on something that I know the stakes are high Mm -hmm. as opposed to then I was like, Hey guys, like yeah what's up <laughs> you know, like this is me i was told i should try this so yeah. here i am trying it type of thing were you making a, a lot more money compared to your peers at that age too with all that modeling or what was the structure like when it came to that i was i, I um i would have said the reason why i'm asking is uh i wonder how your hometown friends were relating to you then because i mean you were just doing something completely left field compared to them i would think right yeah i was um like i said it like made the local newspaper type of thing it was so left field but also i mean i I love my hometown i love where i grew up but you do typically kind of get that more conservative mindset that's like very judgmental of anything outside the box so it wasn't exactly like my peers were necessarily like awesome you know they were more like ah he'll be back you know what i mean like ah he's gonna go try this thing he'll be back yeah um but at the time i was uh I was just excited to get out. And my parents were super like supportive, especially my dad. He was like, uh, if you have an opportunity, just take it, go. Like you can always oh, come yeah. back. You can always work for the family business. You can always do these things. But uh, he had a very different style of uh, of motivating, I guess you could say, and like encouraging and getting us out there. It was very much like learn from my mistakes. Mm. And I was also homeschooled for a lot of time Uh I just didn't care for school. Yeah. I, I never got bad grades or anything. I just couldn't stand being in a classroom all day long while I could, when instead I could be out, like I would get my homeschool schoolwork done in four hours at home and then go to work with my dad for the rest of the day and yeah. make 20 bucks an hour, like laying tile in high school. So like that was my mindset towards it. Um, but my dad was like, if you can wake up every day and want to go to work, then do that. Like find whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and, and a lot of people can't find that even now, even into their later adult years, like it, a lot of people don't have that. So that's really awesome that your dad kind of put that seed in your brain. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really lucky to have that. And uh, 
so when, when the modeling thing kind of came came into like uh, into sight, he was like, "Yeah, I was like, well, what should I do? I don't know. Is it something? Is it not? Like you know?" And and he was like, "Take it, try it. Like why not? You know, get out yeah. there and see what happens. You can always come back." Um, and then I didn't know what I was, how long I was going to do it for, or where it was going to lead me, but kind of one job kept leading to another and I kept working and that eventually brought me back to New York and then back out to LA where I've roughly been since. So it's been, oh uh, man, it, it just <laughs> like hearing the whole story just sounds like a modeling career in reverse to me. <laughs> how so? <laughs> because like I, I hear a lot of people that have been like going to castings out in LA and, and, and then all of a sudden they get that shot to go do the runway in mm. Milan or whatever. Yeah. And it, I just feel like it's just cool hearing it from the reverse side. Yeah, it was yeah. A, it was a little bit backwards, I guess. Yeah, I went to New York, then Milan, and, and did that stuff. Yeah, um, I usually hear like the structure, you go LA, then New York, then uh, abroad. True, you know? yeah. And you would think, I guess, being from California, I would have started in LA, yeah. but uh, but no, it, it took me on a different path. Um, yeah, and LA ended up being, once I got out here, I uh, kind of fell into some stunt work as well. And uh, that was interesting to me and kind of opened up the acting door just a little bit. But for the most part, I saw... I, I says, I'm, I'm a terrible employee, I guess you could say. Like I've had other jobs where I've worked like the front desk of a gym and things and and mm. I never lasted very long. I mean, yeah. I was a waiter in my hometown for about a week before I got in a fight with the chef and, and was fired slash quit. And uh, that's when I started. I just, I'm, I'm a bad employee. I've got to work for myself. Mm-hmm. And I saw modeling and all these things as ways that I could earn money and still pursue whatever I wanted to on the side. Yeah. So Aaron, we're, we're talking about your uh, beginning, especially with modeling and uh, kind of building that foundation of uh, like a money bet essentially to get this yo-yo mat started. Yeah. Um, but I want to take a step back really quick and I, I want to know what were some of your inspirations while you were going through that process of mm-hmm. starting modeling and maybe uh, bringing that seed of the idea of yo-yo mats to fruition? Mm-hmm. What were your inspirations that you're looking up to uh, while you're traveling through this experience? Uh, well, I guess on the on the beginning end of it, um, as far as wanting to model and all that, it was never really about modeling for me. Like even once the seed got kind of planted with the actual Abercrombie and stuff that we talked about, um, mm-hmm. it was more so about as a kid, I was always the, the underdog for sure. At two older brothers, um, I was the least athletic. I was the least <laughs> one that was like out there kind of killing the game and everything. Um, and, uh, but, but I, I always was working my ass off with my dad doing construction and all these other things. But I reached a point where I was like, not going to have it anymore. I was like, well, this is bullshit for lack of other words. Like I want to be the guy that people look up to, um, that people, you know, aspire to be like, because I had so many people that I was constantly like obsessed with. Arnold Schwarzenegger was actually probably an early, um, uh, someone I looked up to, uh, because when I just started getting into the gym and wanting to do things like that, my mom got me the, uh, encyclopedia of bodybuilding that he wrote and that thing thing has been dog-eared and highlighted like just to the point it's it's you really can't open it without the pages falling out anymore would you recommend Um, that to everyone watching or yeah absolutely i mean for me it was just a great foundation of uh of even the local gym was so tiny and no one was really fit in it you know so it was it was Mm -hmm. a great place for someone who and the internet wasn't what it is today at that time so it was it was a great source of kind of knowledge for me uh at the time and really led me to be like holy shit this guy i ended up reading his whole story Arnold Schwarzenegger and and seeing where he came from and what he accomplished. And then that paired with my dad was really the ultimate inspiration mm-hmm. on everything, whether it was uh, what I wanted to pursue as a career, who I wanted to become. He was like, can you find me an example of anyone that's done what you want to do? 
And I'd yeah. be like, well, yeah. And he'd be like, then you can do it. doesn't matter what it is. doesn't matter what business it is, how much money you want to make, where you want to travel, where you want to go. If someone's already done it, that means you can do it. And if no one's ever done it, then guess what? You get to be the first. Yeah. You know, so that's even more exciting. So and positive. Exactly. Yeah. And that's how he kind of just uh, trained me to be like, it, I don't have to accept the normal. And I think that was, he was raised in a different way. It was more so at a time where it was like, get out, get a job yeah. and get to work. And he he had a great job and, and had his own company and stuff, but he wasn't like, oh, I want to go to work every day. Like I'm stoked on it. So he wanted his kids to, to have that and yeah. want to wake up every day and do that. Um, and since I spent so much time with him growing up, being on homeschool and different things and going to work with him, I, I was, he was the type of guy that was always tinkering and taking stuff apart and putting it back together. So I learned that from him. And, you know, you always have those things with your dad where you're like, oh, we're going to, I don't know, we're going to go do this or we're superheroes or we're that or whatever. Yeah. And for me, it was, we're going to be inventors, you know, as I, when I was a little kid, we're going to grow up, we're going to be inventors, dad, and all this stuff. And then as I went off and started pursuing other things, I never really kind of lost that. And yeah. I still was like obsessed with wanting to own patents and start businesses and retire my dad, essentially. Uh, so he planted that seed early. I know I'm fast forwarding through. <laughs> no, no worries. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, that answers your question. So your dad and Arnold were like two of the biggest inspirations pretty in the much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, pretty much. And yeah. I mean, a lot of people have Arnold, so I totally get yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. It feels a little cliche, <laughs> but it's like, uh, yeah. it truly was. It was like the the first guy that, uh, as far as the fitness side of things, and I really, he was the first kind of one that I really read his story. And then after that, I got yeah. obsessed. And I mean, I his, just started, his is crazy. starting out all the way out from um, Austria. Austria yeah, and yeah. then just no one really approving what he was doing. And exactly. him just blasting off the Californian rocking it. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then becoming governor. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it was like, who would have thought, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> well, okay. So moving on for your inspirations. Um, your uh was kicked back uh to your timeline so the modeling career is really cruising and you moved back to new york then back to la yeah and you have this kind of foundation of money i would think right to uh help start funding yo-yo mats right essentially yeah that's what i did i, I basically i saved everything i earned while i was out there knowing i wanted to start something when i when i got back to the states um not really knowing what it was going to be yet. I had a sketchbook that I, going from train and, and airport and everything else, I was always sketching out ideas. Yeah. But I never came up with anything that I thought was good enough to actually file a patent and spend the money on. Mm -hmm. And I was actually crashing with uh, my brother and his wife down in Orange County for a moment. And I had been experimenting with slap band bracelets, like as these for these other inventions I was thinking of. Yeah. And I was actually in the gym down there in, uh, in Laguna Niguel and saw, <laughs> saw a yoga class again. And I had just started getting into yoga myself. Um, but, uh, my mat was just a $20 mat. Like I didn't think too much of it, but I was watching people come out of this yoga class and this lady literally right in front of me just dropped her mat and unrolled and she was frustrated and pissed off. She picked it up Yeah, and then went to a class later that day. And I just started being more aware of like, the mats and how everybody was using them. And I got out of class and uh, I, I had a slap band bracelet that I had been messing with that day for other ideas. And that's when I kind of had that light bulb moment. I was literally standing there like slapping that bracelet on my wrist. Like, God, the yoga mats kind of suck. Like what a pain yeah. in the ass, you know? <laughs> and uh, like, hmm. yeah, honestly, honestly. And then all of a sudden it was just like light bulb. And I was like, you know, I wonder if a slap band would roll up a yoga mat. <laughs> so, yeah. so I went home and, uh, and cut open my yoga mat, uh, cut open the side of it, stuck a slap band in there. It rolled up that little six inch strip. And I was like, Oh, maybe I have something. Um, and that's, that's kind of right when it came up of like, uh, yeah. the, the, the first, uh, yeah, the first thought 
of your EMS. Okay, so walk me through the process. I mean, uh, you were modeling consistently at that time too, right? Yeah, yeah, pretty consistent. I was living in Orange County for a minute and commuting up and back and forth to LA. Yeah. Um, and oh, that's a bit of a drive. <laughs> a little she bit. Was go- my uh, girlfriend was going through that, uh, commuting from Rancho Santa Margarita all the way to uh, Santa Monica for a while. Yeah. Like, it was crazy. Yeah, it'll I'm sure kill you. you kind of experienced that <laughs> from kill Laguna, you. right? Or, yeah, from Laguna Niguel, yeah. Oh, that's yeah. even farther, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, yeah. it was, uh, but to me, I wasn't paying rent <laughs> where I was living in Orange County. Oh, good stuff. Um, so, I, and I wasn't sure where I was going to end up if it was going to be living in LA or going back to Europe or something like that. Yeah. So I was kind of just using it as like a, a bridge to figure shit out. Okay. So, yeah. Awesome. So you uh, kind of messed around, made your first prototype in a way and uh, what kind of perspired from there? Yeah. So I, uh, I, it's funny. So the backstory on slap bands is they were originally invented to uh, be used in uh, uh, soda machines to push the cans closer. It would basically be looped in a big, uh, big, oh, we only know them now as essentially slap band bracelets, but they were originally used for that. And then once that technology evolved, people just kind of started cutting them up and using them as slap band bracelets. Then you had these whole factories that that's all they did. They make bi-stable spring steel for slap band bracelets. So for kids Mm. toys, essentially. Yeah. So when I came up with this idea, as great as it sounded, you know, I called my dad up and I was like, dad, I think I got something. And he's like, wow, that's a great idea. Like a self-rolling yoga mat. Like, I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Maybe it's that he had never done yoga. He was a big fitness guy, but he had never done yoga. Yeah. And I was like, I think I think there's a market for it. And so I started hopping on the computer. And at the time, again, I had built up some money, but I had saved it all to invest in whatever my company was. So at this time, we're, we're kind of coming going through this process of talking about down research and development. And at that point, I moved up to Santa Monica in an apartment that was, I mean, maybe 10 feet by 10 feet. Like it was tiny and the kitchen was in the same oh, living yeah. room. Like it was all I How wanted to spend paying? at the time. Uh, it was $900 a month, okay. um, but I could walk to the beach and that's all yeah. I wanted. It was basically, it was a master bedroom that had been walled off from the rest of an apartment and uh, they put its own entrance in. And they rented it. And then it had a little kitchenette, like a little tiny refrigerator, a little sink, and a two burner stove. Yeah, I've heard of some people living in those apartments without kitchens. Yeah. Oh, I know. Totally. I I looked at apartments like that, actually, um, but I found this one. And, uh, and yeah, so so anyway, I have this little tiny computer, this little Dell computer. It's yeah, it was a loaner. Again, I, I wasn't into spending money or really anything. I wanted to save it all to invest in something that I had that was going to be good. Yeah. And so I had to find a way to basically find these slap band bracelets, but much longer. And kind of a funny story. I, uh, after all this research, I realized they're only made in China. You can't get them anywhere else by stable spring steel, only made in China. I, mm. uh, I'm calling up these factories and realizing that they can't understand me because no one speaks English. So then you have to do it through email. I'm doing it through email and I finally convinced this, and this might be a little shady. I don't know. You could tell me, but I had to convince this, this factory um, that I was this huge company that was going to develop this new product and yeah. end up ordering a whole bunch because they essentially had to custom make these bands for oh, yeah. six foot length. So they, you needed to give them a little bit of fuel basically making them think, oh, you're going to have this huge order if this goes well, right? Yeah, 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 Yeah. exactly. Uh, Because everybody was turning me down. They're like, no, we'll send you samples in six inch, six inch to 12 inch strips. I'm like, well, I can't roll up a mat with that, you know, like, but not wanting to give away any ideas that I was, I was working on. Oh yeah. Eventually convinced a manufacturer in China to send me a minimum order. It was like, I had to order like 500 of them things. Uh, But it wasn't so bad. It was like a buck a piece or something like that. And uh, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty cheap. It wasn't bad, right? For prototypes. And so I had this huge box of metal just at my doorstep all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. And uh, it was all this Chinese writing on it and stuff. I was like, oh, what did I get myself into? And uh, 
ended up making full-size prototypes of the Yoyamet with my dad. Um, he helped me kind of figure out the technical stuff of it. And once we had a full-size working prototype, which, by the way, I don't want it to sound like I got the metal and I made a prototype. I mean, I, I went through probably close to 30, 35 failed attempts at it because of the adhesive or the way yeah. we were building it or things like that. Um, and then we had the first one and that's when I decided to call an attorney and see if I had something that was patentable. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, man. That, that's, <laughs> wow. Yeah. <laughs> so you had this prototype, you're calling up the attorney and, uh, first of all, um, what kind of costs were you looking at when it came to uh, creating this patent? So a patent basically starts at 10 grand. That's what they quote you. They're Jeez. like, well, 10 grand. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, no, first, okay, they take that back. It was, it was about 900 bucks at first to just yeah. get the, to do the initial search to see if it's already been taken or not. Just and, to look? Uh, <laughs> just to look. It was about 800 bucks, eight, eight to 900 bucks off the top. Yeah. Um, and to me, I was like, worth it, you know, totally. I need to know if I even have an idea here. And uh, then once they, they're like, it looks like, I mean, you got a few things that they're nothing like what you're doing, but technically like the, the uh, USPTO could like red flag it, but we think we can do this. Then it's like, well, it's actually a $10,000 retainer and that's just to kind of get us going for the initial designs and everything. Uh, so yeah, about 10 grand off the top. Costs or just the cost of the patent? Uh, no, that, that's the lawyer's cost to draft the patent. Okay. And then to actually submit it to the uh, USPTO, it's it's actually not that much. It's like a thousand bucks oh, or something okay. like that. So no, just it's getting the, everything official. It's the attorney work. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. your patent, like my patent ends up being like, 35 or 40 pages or something like that, even for as simple as, as mine is. I mean, there's no electronic components or anything like that, but it's yeah. still a, a hefty uh, piece of paperwork. So mm. a lot of little things written in there, you know, that, uh, that the attorney had to go through. So. so were there any kind of struggles or humps you had to work over while you're going through that process? I'm sure it was almost pretty much a headache, right? Uh, yeah, pretty much. Mostly it was cost at first because I was like, oh, I got a good seed to start a company. And no, not really. Like once those attorney fees start coming in and then trademark and you got to decide, well, what, what are you going to call it? And then then it's really a waiting game too. So it takes three to five years for a patent to be approved. Uh, mine got approved in the three-year mark, which I was stoked on. But I mean, essentially I... I filed it and then I kept working on prototyping and making it better. But the general idea, I didn't even know if I had a company. I had to wait essentially three years for that to happen. And then... And were you making any sales or were you still just tinkering and refining? Oh, no. Yeah. I didn't introduce it to anyone uh, until I knew I had the patent approved. Yeah. Uh, so literally, I was just within myself just and me and my dad and my friends and stuff, just messing with prototypes, yeah. experimenting with stuff, roughly kind of starting to form a company um, kind of in the shadows. And then as soon as... the idea idea was I mean, easier said than done but the idea was as soon as the patent would get approved we'd launch this thing you know yeah. and not quite how it happened but uh, <laughs> that was the original plan well, well here's what i'm wondering because uh, I, I don't know a whole bunch about patent law and and i'm sure a lot of the viewers haven't quite looked into it all the way um mm. when it comes to the patent being in process can you make your sales and uh, retain uh, essentially almost act as if you have the patent already when it's in processing or how does that work because like, yeah. So, it, so you can, you can, but it's all risk at that point. Yeah. Um, if you, if a larger company comes in with more budget and they can essentially start selling it too, right alongside you, there's yeah. nothing stopping them. You have zero protection, essentially. There's nothing stopping you from starting to sell it, but you're not protecting your idea at all mm -hmm. until it. Now, if it gets approved, that competitor would have to stop selling. Oh, um, uh, but for that window of time, the exactly. three years or plus. And it's and really, at the end of the day, patents are important and they're great, but it's really about branding. It's about who's first to market and who yeah. makes the first wave. And that's who everybody associates you know, that product or whatever with will be that company. But the scary thing about being in your place is, okay, maybe you make the first wave, but once... 
someone big hears about it. Exactly. They'll just freaking throw in a tsunami of yo-yo mats and, <laughs> and, and try to destroy you essentially, right? Exactly. And that's why I decided to hold off. That's why I decided to wait until the patent was fully approved. Yeah. And then I could talk about it and, and show it off all I wanted. Mm. Yeah. And that's just for the US patent. We're also patented in about six other countries right now and we're pending in the rest. So it's still a process. Okay. Well, in moving on to the next part of this whole journey of yo-yo mats, I mean, you started crowdfunding. So when did you kind yeah. of spur on that? So I, uh, I had went through some, some talks with some potential business partners and things like that because I didn't know how to manufacture in China. That was my biggest thing. It was like, well, how do I get this thing made? Is it Taiwan? Is it China? I thought I'd get it made in the States, which yeah. would still be awesome and still might be a dream eventually to bring manufacturing here. But yoga mats aren't made here. The slap bands aren't made here. Injection molding is really expensive here. And those are my three components. So I essentially had like no choice. times the price exactly. if you did in the US. And I was already making a premium product uh, you know, with, with high-end materials. So I couldn't afford for the manufacturing to be any higher. Yeah. So at this time, I was trying to figure out, well, how do I get this thing made now? Now that I have a patent, now that I kind of roughly know the direction I want to go with it, how do I do it? So I had actually shot, it's funny how the modeling career comes into play here. I had shot the uh, 2012 uh, Coca-Cola Olympics campaign. I was a gymnast, you know, quote, quote unquote gymnast yeah. in the uh, in the Coca-Cola campaign. And it was shot. Sure you were happy about that campaign. Oh, I was stoked about <laughs> it. Yeah. I never saw any of the ads, but people at the Olympics were posting like the, the banners and yeah. stuff. And it was like full size me drinking a Coke, like next to the ski slope. So it was, it was, it was cool. Um, but, uh, but the, the guy, the photographer and creative director, on that shoot was Yusai, and he owns a, uh, a company called 88 Phases. So he's worked for everybody from Lexus to Coca-Cola to all the big brand names, helping them revamp their image and revamp their brand. He's yeah. also on uh, 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 America's Top Model and Asia's Top Model. Oh, I did um, not know that. Yeah. So we, uh, we had shot that campaign, and I hadn't even got the patent approved. So that was like roughly 2012. Patent hadn't been approved yet. Shortly after that, it gets approved. And I'm like, by, by campaign, we're referencing the Coca-Cola campaign. Yes. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right, cool. So the Coca-Cola campaign, I shot that and just so happens that I then got signed with a manager to kind of help oversee my modeling career named Dino May, Dino May Management. Mm -hmm. But he also had other business ventures. He was also just really knowledgeable in just all kinds of fields of business in ways that I wasn't. Contracts, negotiations, things of that. Yeah. We ended up becoming really close and and he actually came in as more of a consultant for yo-yo mats for me and my dad, helping out with contract stuff and, and next stages of raising money. And when I was like, I don't know how to get this thing made, uh, I have... A, a product, but I don't have a brand necessarily yet. Mm -hmm. I want to build a team around this now. Yeah. So he was kind of first one in to kind of help oversee some of the more technical business stuff. And then he's like, well, how about you, Sai? And I was like, the photographer that I shot with for like Coca-Cola? like, and, and he was like, yeah, that's... So his brother, his name's Ray Sai, he does manufacturing uh, overseas. Oh, wow. And Perfect storm. Exactly. Yeah. And then Yusai is a creative director for brands. If anybody knows how to build a brand, it's him. Mm -hmm. He's like, let's set a meeting. Let's, let's see if you know, he's interested. So we go, we set a meeting with Yusai. Great to see him and everything. And he's like, it's so funny. I've been looking for a project to get into. And I'm like, well, I think I got one for you. <laughs> so uh, so you know, long story, not so short. Uh, he came in as my creative director and business partner. Uh -huh. And his brother oversees my manufacturing. And oh, wow. that's how I built the brand of Yo-Yo Mats was kind of with help with his genius and then the manufacturing side with his brother. And then uh, I still oversee most of the marketing and the sales and the actual... Uh, technical inventing part of the product. Mm -hmm. So this whole process kind of built out your logistics and creative direction and branding. 
And then I'm guessing you kind of packaged that in a video format and uh, uh, typed out format for you, for uh, the crowdfunding, right? Exactly. So we were at a point where we did get a seed round of funding. And then we're like, well, in today's day and age, like, how do you launch a product? Right? Outside of the online crowdfunding, right? Yes. Yeah, so we took we had a seed round of funding before we ever touched the crowdfunding. And where'd you go for that? Because I mean, there's a lot of angel investors and investors across LA that people yeah. go for that kind of thing. I mean, what was that process like for you for that this, first round? This was very much uh, wealthy friends and family. Okay. Kind, of, kind of from all of us. No, yeah. to be honest, I mean, Usai really helped bring that in uh, from kind of his side of friends and family. Mm-hmm. He, to be honest, has wealthier friends than I, than I do. Yeah. So, you know, he brought in a lot of that seed round and seed round of funding. Uh, but that was literally just enough to kind of get our feet wet, get our manufacturing started, uh, kind of have a proven concept, and then hopefully be able to bridge that gap to full on, you know, full containers coming over from, uh, from Asia. Yeah. Um, but we still needed a way to introduce it to the public and Can I pause you for a second. Yeah. Uh, with that seed round of funding, were you offering uh, equity in your company or what was the structure like for that? Or was it kind of just like, we could use some money. <laughs> no, I mean, I wish it was just, we could use some money. I'm give sure, it to yeah. us. But no, so they are uh, a shareholders in the company now. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. they were the seed rounds, but that's the only, besides crowdfunding, that's the only outside investment that we've taken on yeah. uh, to this point. So it was- Which that. is great. I mean, you're retaining the majority of the shares of the company, I would assume, right? That was the goal. So we've had interest, uh, without going too far off track, we've had other interest from larger investors. Um, and it's still something maybe at the, that point when we cross that, or when we get to that, that point we'll cross that bridge yeah um but at this point we're self-sustaining where every, most everything we make goes back into the company um goes into product development and expanding the brand so we're not too eager to go give away more of the company at this yeah. point um but uh but there's no shortage of of people wanting to you know mm-hmm. join the cause so. so so you went from the seed round and then uh you went to what the, the next thought after that seed round you're like okay let's go get some more funding let's go hit up uh the online audience indiegogo so, so yeah kickstarter and indiegogo i mean it, it is crowdfunding but um more so than that it's just a, it's a great way to launch your brand even if you're fully financed which i mean we had a seed round but it we, we needed more at the same time so we yeah. were kind of doing it for both sides of it we wanted to uh raise more funds but we also wanted a way to launch it to the public and it's hard to launch a brand and instantly have a community and Kickstarter and Indiegogo, they really give you that. Like right away, you all of a sudden have this community and they're dedicated, diehard, or or if you do it really badly, they're <laughs> dedicated and they really hate you and you really get a bad name. So you kind of yeah. have to gauge it and, and do it right. Um, but so that was why we ended up doing a Kickstarter at first. It was um, obviously let's raise more money, but let's find a way to tell the public about it before we even have product because we didn't have product yet to actually sell. It was still getting manufactured and was supposed to supposed to <laughs> land right after the Kickstarter ended and be yeah. delivered. We were actually about eight months delayed on actually delivering the product to the backers. Which is honestly a common <laughs> story from what I've heard when it comes to GoFundMe and Kickstarter and all that too. It is. At yeah. first going into it, um, we weren't entirely sure if that was normal or not. Quickly yeah. getting into the game, getting into the community, talking to other entrepreneurs that were starting brands. They were like, oh, as long as you keep your backers informed, no one's going to care. Yeah. So that was really all it was about. It was just having good communication with the backers and really no one cared. Yeah. Yeah. I could totally see this as long as you keep the communication up and let them know what's going on with the uh, prototypes and everything. I mean, why wouldn't you be happy essentially, right? Exactly. And they do know what they're getting into on Kickstarter. And uh, <laughs> let's roll back. I mean, for the structure of the Kickstarter, 
we'll break it down for you guys. How much did you raise first? Let's start off from there. What was the goal and how much did you raise? So the goal was 50,000. We ended up doing about 155,000 on Kickstarter. A little bit over maybe, but yeah, roughly around there. It's bad so it was like three times. Yeah, exactly. It was 300% the goal we wanted. Um, so, I mean, we were stoked about it. Yeah. Yeah, we were, we were definitely excited. And when it came to the structure of that and the promotion of that, I mean, what did it look like when you were kind of trying to sell your uh, backers on... Uh, Yo-Yo Mats. Yeah. So, I mean, really, Kickstarter and Indiegogo, you just have to kind of be... It's interesting. So, we didn't know as much going into it as we thought we did. Um, and there's a lot of brands that go on there. And you can actually pay these teams that build your press releases and build all this stuff for you and push it out and they take a commission of your sales. We didn't go that route. What we used is... So, Yusai, my creative director, I mean, he's shot everything from Sports Illustrated to, um, like I said, the campaigns and various stuff. So, he had a really good network. Um, so, right out of the gate, we had Gigi Haddad, Kate Upton posting for us oh, on, on Twitter. Yeah. So, that was what we used as our did, marketing. Did you guys pay for that or...? No. They're just friends of size from being in the industry. Uh, there so, we go. <laughs> yeah. So... I mean, again, I got to give very mad, valuable. I got to give mad props to Usai on that. Yeah, uh, but uh, so we really started with just like, well, it's it's a social community. Uh, Kickstarter is so let's keep it social. So we launched on the Twitter and Instagram side of things using these influencers that had millions plus followers to push us out there, and it was all in the same day. Essentially, we did a small press release too um, that kind of went out to the major networks, um, Time Magazine. Gizmodo, Business Insider, more of the viral ones as well. When it comes to pushing out the press release, I mean, you just kind of tie together a package and said, here's our story. Yeah. Can so you, hopefully you'll write about us, right? Hey, I mean, pretty much. you can't really pay them to write about you. No, no, yeah. not at all. So uh, so yeah, we, we had a... Uh, uh, a PR guy that that had the uh, the emails essentially we needed access to. Exactly. We wrote up a press release that I thought it was stellar. It was awesome. He took it, stripped it down to about three lines and was like, let's push this out. And we were like, okay. So he did. And it was kind of a combination. I don't know that we would have gained as much traction right out of the gate if we didn't have the social influence behind us that we did. Oh, yeah. Um, but because... These people Googled us and like as soon as they got the press release and realized we were already going viral on things like Twitter and Instagram and that just kind of snowballed. So we didn't have to pay for a lot of marketing for our uh, our Kickstarter. It was all the social postings and then the repostings and then kind of the really pivotal point for us in that campaign was the Today Show. The Today Show... Uh, Savannah Guthrie, she uh, it was on her social page somewhere, and she pulled it and was like, "I got to talk about this." Mm. And she they, they did a segment on uh, on new products, and they showed the videos. They talked about our Kickstarter and everything. We did about twenty grand that day wow. on Kickstarter. Yeah. yeah. So that then led to obviously Business Insider, Time Magazine, Men's Fitness, Men's Health. I mean, all these other magazines and all these other uh, networks just started talking about us. Wow. So that kind of carried us through for the first solid two months of the campaign. And and you sigh with the main uh, PR guy for this or who, who are you working with for that? Uh, no. So it was actually, uh, I'm going to blank on the, it was, it was uh, a friend of a friend that, that did PR and was like, I'll kind of help you out. Oh, wow. Okay. It was more of a friends and family favor that we nice. kind of called in. Yeah. Uh, but because he felt confident these people would talk about it as long as we were able to pull the social influence that we were able to pull. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was an email blast that he sent out, but really what, what made the push and, and carried it all in was the social influence of the uh, the influencers that Usai brought in. And did you kind of apply? Because um, we're talking about Kickstarter right now, right? Yeah. Did you kind of apply that methodology over to? Um, uh, what was the second? Indiegogo. 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 Or, yeah. Did, there's a couple of them. I yeah, get confused. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. Uh, Indiegogo is interesting. So we. Uh, <laughs> 
Indiegogo isn't like Kickstarter. So Kickstarter, you have to put a timeline on things. Yeah. And you, if you don't hit your goal, you don't make the money and you know all that stuff. But Indiegogo, you, our Indiegogo is technically still live. We didn't shut it off. It's still up and hardcore Indiegogo backers still prefer to buy through Indiegogo than they do to actually buy through your own site. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of an interesting... Uh, community. But uh, we, we really didn't put anything into the into the Indiegogo at all. It, we just turned it on and then we're getting ready to go live on our own website. Yeah. Um, but a lot of backers on Kickstarter, when the campaign ended, they were like, but I still want to buy. And so there was just this little tiny gap of time that we needed to kind of bridge before we actually launched our website. So yeah. we used Indiegogo to, to fill that. Um, and we ver- were very much still riding that tidal wave or that snowball of the social influence we did on Kickstarter. Um, but we didn't put nearly as much uh, effort into the Indiegogo as we did into the uh, Kickstarter. Mm-hmm. So you kind of just took the momentum from the Kickstarter and that Helped you out on Indiegogo, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it just kind of snowballed right run from the other. Um, And then it's, like I said, it's still up. It's still live. We wanted to take it down. The backers were like, don't. Uh, So it's made uh, somewhere over... Forty or fifty thousand or something like that right now. Yeah, um, make more if you guys. And that was go yeah, over there. exactly. Go check it out, uh, <laughs> or just go to yogamats.com. But, yeah, uh, that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, okay. So you had this whole awesome process of doing PR for uh, yo-yo mats. Have you applied your online and social strategies to your own brand? Just Aaron Thor, my personal general. brand. Yeah. Uh, so that's been an interesting one for me. I. Uh, at the beginning, you know, social media to me wasn't something that I was really thinking about. I was just posting my life and and doing it. Um, now, as it's actually become a tool, so now you know, you go to modeling castings, even acting castings. I hear from friends, they uh, you know that the sign in sheet, they want to know how many followers you have, or they want to know your Instagram handle. And for me personally, it's really become more of a way to share the Yo-Yo Mats brand and kind of share what I'm doing. But what I've found is Instagram only works if you're or works better, I guess, if you're documenting, not necessarily creating. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're just documenting your life, your ins and your outs, your ups and your downs, uh, people are more interested and more engaged. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the strategy I try to run. Whether it's working or not, I don't know. Go check out my Instagram and tell me. <laughs> <laughs> you want to plug it real quick? But uh, yeah, it's a Thor 13 uh, but, um, but yeah, I don't, uh, I'm not one of those people that's super obsessed with their Instagram, but I think yeah. that's almost why it's worked for me. Um, I mean, I don't have a crazy huge following, but I like to think that my followers are people that I do talk to, people that do communicate back with me. And Instagram especially, it, uh, it, it's easy to get caught up in the Instagram world. But oh, for yeah. me, like I was explaining before, I was never the kid that anyone was going to look up to. I mean, I, I had two older brothers. I was more or less the runt of of the group, you know, until I decided I wanted to change that. And I do believe that um, there is such a thing as manifestation and you really can bring things into existence that way, but only if you actually execute the work, Mm -hmm. not if you just sit around and think positive thoughts. Yeah, I don't don't think that necessarily works. Um, So Instagram kind of became a way for me to share that with people. I didn't think too much of it. I was just sharing my life. And then you'd get these messages from people who would be like, 
hey, keep it up, you know, I'm inspired. Oh, or, yeah. you know, hey, tell me more about yo-yo mats and what you're pursuing and what you're doing. And then I'd be like, oh shit, like I'm inspiring people. And there's that's, really people on the web. Exactly. <laughs> and that's when I was like, ah, I, I want to make this more personal. I want to really show people my life. I want to show them my relationships. I want to show them, uh, you know, when, when yo-yo mats isn't doing great and when it is doing great. Um, and then my own personal life when it's fantastic and when it's not fantastic. Um, yeah. So, uh, so yeah. Oh, when it comes to like the actual strategy you implement, when it comes, I'm sure you're still trying to grow on Instagram because like who doesn't want some growth, right? Yeah. What uh, what kind of strategies do you implement when it comes to like posting, frequency, or any kind of advice that you kind of give out to people who are trying to grow? Yeah, so uh, kind of like what I was saying, the uh, as far as posting, I mean, I just try to post when it feels natural, to be honest. I don't yeah. have a hardcore strategy, but I try not to go too long without letting my followers know what I'm up to. And it's easy to be like, well things aren't great right now. I don't feel like posting. I don't feel like putting my message out there. But I think that's where people are wrong. Um, you really build a community and you build an audience when you're genuine with people. Mm -hmm. So I try to just be like, look, today's a little shitty. <laughs> and, I've, and you know what I mean? And it's not it, easy to put it on my like, story. I, and yeah. you get these people who are like, hey, you know, keep it up. You inspire me or, you know, you know, don't stop this or don't stop that. And you find that the social community starts to give back to you yeah. as well, instead of just being a platform where you post, you know, post things and hope people like it. Yeah. Um, you can really find a way to communicate. And, and that's, that's also kind of bridging that gap from just being the person they scroll through and, and hit the like button and actually someone they stop on and they want to know more about what you're doing. Well, why is he going that way? Or why is his mood this way? And that's when they start to engage. And then it's also, it is about engagement with your followers. I try to actually, you know, talk back. <laughs> yeah. You know, when people comment, it's because they're reaching out to you. They, they want to know a little bit more about you. Or they want a, a question answered or they just want to show support. So if you want your followers to be engaged, you have to engage back with them. When it comes to like DMs or comments, for example, do you try to reply to each one or what's... Uh, I mean, I, I try to. I'm not successful at it, uh, yeah. but I, I try to. I, I think, uh, like, like I was saying, I think if you if you can engage back with your followers, then they become true followers. Definitely. And I'd rather yeah. have a lower number of true followers than a mass amount of people that are just kind of blindly following you. Mm -hmm. um, so I do, I do. If you hit me a DM or something, odds are I will respond to it. It might not be for a week or two, but uh, but I will get to it. So you have this, I mean, man, you've raised so much through crowdfunding and you've had this crazy adventure when it comes to, you know, getting your initial product mm -hmm. out to the market, having you Sai help you out with creative directing. Yeah. When it comes to the actual founding of Yo-Yo Mats though, is it just Aaron Thornton or is there someone else that kind of helped you along the way? So right now, kind of the core group of people, including my seed round of investors, are technically all founders because we all came to the table and that's when actual the Yo-Yo Mats Corporation was founded. Now, before that, though, the actual inventing of the patent, um, a co-inventor would actually be um, my dad, who I've talked a lot about, influenced me a lot on to actually get out there and uh, pursue the dreams. And, and if anybody can... you know. If, if you, if anybody's done it, you can do it, you know, yeah. essentially was kind of his motto, wake up every day, want to go to work. And he's the guy I originally brought the idea to. And, uh, he helped me with all the technical design stuff. So he is listed. Actually, I have, uh, my patent number is actually tattooed right here. Oh, I, did, uh, I didn't know that's what it was. That's, yeah. That's yeah, really yeah. cool. So, uh, and, and I originally, I got it because one, I plan on having a lot more patents after this and, and continuing to start up companies and invent things. This is my first one, but also my dad's dream was always to have a patent. He always thought that would be so cool to be able to actually own an idea because he had tons of ideas and he didn't technically own any of them. So to yeah. him, he's like, one day I'll have a patent. So he's actually listed as my co-inventor and he helped me through the whole design process, R&D, everything. Actually starting the company was him and I. Um, and then... 
we were about two months out from actually launching yoyomats.com um, when unfortunately he got in a motorcycle accident and uh, and passed away. But uh, I mean, he's still like, I got the tattoo actually on the one year anniversary um, yeah. of his passing. Wow. Um, as, as a reminder to myself of that, this is I'm not doing this company just for me. It's mm-hmm. also to keep his dream alive. And at least before he passed, he did... Uh, he did have a patent in his name, you know. He, yeah. he did reach that dream uh, to some degree. So I'm sorry to yeah. hear about you, that man. No, I, I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah, he uh he he was just about to to come work for Yo Yo Mats and and stop doing some tile work. Um, but he was excited about it. He got to see us all through the Kickstarter phase, which we've talked about, which was super exciting for him. Um, oh, wow. okay. To, so he's along for the ride. Oh, then. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So he saw the Kickstarter and everything. He just didn't see us actually go live on YoYoMats.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but. Uh, but otherwise, he was there through the whole process and saw the public love it, which I think as an inventor, um, that's what you want. You want to you get scared at first. And that's something I didn't really touch on too much was that was the most nerve wracking thing was to hit that that enter button on launching the Kickstarter. Oh, because, yeah. Well, because you're like, really? you, you think you have a great idea. Your friends and family are obviously like, yeah, your idea is awesome. You know, but yeah. until you put it out there in the public, you don't really know how they're going to receive it. And once we did that and we actually kind of got welcomed with open arms uh, as a and as a great idea um you know he got to see that he got to see the public love something that he created so that was uh, kind of the most important part and honestly man just like kind of watching how you function and hearing your story and how you've talked about the experience and your positivity mm. it seems like his his positive um mentality is really just stuck to you so it's cool to see a piece of him living with you still I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I hope so. I mean, that's kind of the goal now. It's like um, I was already kind of living my life and running my company kind of to, to do him proud. And now it's just, you know, it's, it's more so. Yeah. So uh, I'm excited for what Yoyo Mats has in store. Um, oh, he did see actually a fun thing is uh, the uh, we won the ISPO award, which is the biggest sports trade show uh, in the world. It takes place in Germany, in Munich. Mm-hmm. And we did win uh, the uh, product of the year award for the most innovative wow. uh, product there. Okay. Um, and that was in, that was last year, 2017. Uh, yeah. And he, he did, because we got the news almost a year in advance before the actual trade show happens. Yeah. Uh, and he did see that. So he was, he was pretty proud of that. Oh, that, yeah. that's pretty crazy that they kind of give you the results that early. <laughs> they do, yeah. Because, I mean, it takes place in, in Germany. They got a plan yeah, all year. They get these huge, I mean, they're like 20-pound solid metal awards with your name engraved on it and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, we yeah, we submitted. And then like eight months later, we heard. And then like nine or 10 months after that, you actually go to the trade show. So it's a long process to apply for it. But uh, we were stoked to win. And my dad was super, super excited. So what about, um, let's take a step forward. What about when it comes to... Uh, you know, we're hearing really all the positive sides of the whole process of, yeah. of, of um, creating yo-yo mats and your modeling career. But I mean, what have been some of the struggles that you've pushed through or hurdles that you've gone over? Uh, where to start? Um, let's, what, <laughs> uh, let's start with, uh, uh, okay, we're, we're really kind of fueling off yo-yo mats. So let's start on sure. that side. Uh, yeah, so um, yo-yo mats has been... it. It's great and I, and I love it and it's and we're on a fantastic path but I mean there's been constant setbacks there always is I think when you start a company and uh, that's what by most most businesses fail within the first five years and ours I mean even after the Kickstarter phase we had uh, we were eight months late on actually delivering the product to the customer because of manufacturing delays mm-hmm. and then uh, even after that and I'll be completely honest even just this January we had a uh, two full containers of product land here in the states fully defective. That we oh. it, it hurt us. It did. It, it what's it, the cost of one container? A lot. 
<laughs> a lot Jeez. yeah a lot uh but uh uh yeah so that that kind of set us back a, a bit i actually just got back from china uh it was about a week and a half ago overseeing the new run so actually yo-yo mats were developing kind of a whole new line of material that mm. we're introducing um come this fall um so that's been really exciting but like i said even even now even at this point we're still having delays. We're still having defective products. We're still having a few customer service issues here and there, but the best you can do is just kind of stay ahead of it. Um, and, uh, and really just listen to the customer and be there for the customer. Cause the customer really never cares about how much you mess up. They only care about how you fix your mess up. Definitely. And that's what we've tried to do. You get a defective product. We apologize. We're sorry. You know, here's your money back. Here's your product. Mm-hmm. All these things. What's your policy when it comes to that? When it comes to like a defective product if or the customer fa- isn't happy with it? Yeah. How do you, how do you uh, overtake that? So, I mean, it's kind of, we, we have a policy in place, but that's not like we, we try to get on the phone with the customer. I try to personally get on the phone if I can. If I can personally get my customer on the phone and talk through the problem, we'll come to the solution on the phone. So I've done everything from full refunds. If they're just, the math's not for them, which has only happened a couple times. Most of the time it's user error or it's been, uh, it has been a defective product at the early stages. And at that point I do, I get on the phone. I try to show like, I am the inventor. I've been here from square one. I understand the struggle. I apologize. You know, please let me get you a mat as well as a free tote bag, you know, whatever I can to kind of solve the problem. But if it's factory defect or anything on our end, of course, absolutely we'll replace and, uh, and refund. Uh, not a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Okay, what what about uh, rewinding to the hurdle of the defective crates? Two of them. <laughs> yeah. How, how did you handle that with the manufacturer? Did you switch manufacturers? So after we that? did. So we did. That's why. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's what I would jump to. Yeah. So so the thing was is when we originally got into um, developing the yo-yo mat, we didn't uh, we didn't have a lot of options. You know, we're an unheard of company. People are like. I don't know. I mean, is this is this something we should take a risk on? Because we are made completely differently than any other yoga mat is. Yeah. So we didn't have a huge pool of manufacturers that w- were dying to work with us, you know? Um, so once we found one, we stuck with them, but we didn't necessarily know if we were going to be with them forever. And they only made one style of yoga mat. So... Basically, once we realized they couldn't keep up with us and, and keep up with our innovations, essentially, we kind of got the defective container roughly around the same time we were coming to this epiphany. And uh, we did switch manufacturers, and that's why I ended up in China. So we're going from a TPE-based material to a natural rubber-based material. Mm-hmm. So is, yeah. the, is the natural <laughs> rubber more preferable then? It is. In the yoga industry, it is. Yeah. Lululemon, Manduka, all of our competing brands uh, typically have steered that route uh, Mm -hmm. in some way, shape or form. We knew we eventually we'd evolve uh, there. So see for us, most of these yoga brands like Manduka, Lululemon, Jade, they, uh, they have their niche. They have their, well, we're natural tree rubber. We're TPE, we're PVC, we're this. For us, we don't have that. You know, our selling point is the features of our mat. You know, it stays rolled, it stays flat and it rolls itself up. So for us, eventually we want to be able to offer all of the materials across the board that all of our competitors can offer mm-hmm. just with this added functionality. Would you make it almost kind of like a build your own thing in the future possibly or? Uh, I don't know. You know, we'll see where we evolve to. That yeah. uh, to me, that just sounds like a really big manufacturing headache. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thanks for putting that out there in the universe now. Just a thought. Uh, yeah. Uh, but uh, but no, it's, it's more so just being about, you know, if you can 
If you want a PVC mat, we offer it. If you want a TPE mat, we offer it. You want mm-hmm. a natural rubber mat, we can offer it. You don't have to stick to these uh, these certain brands. You yeah. can come to us as a one-stop shop. And it sounded like, uh, just rewinding a little bit, it sounded yeah. like there wasn't really a happy ending when it came to those two cro- those two crates <laughs> being defective. You had to pay for it, right? Uh, no, well, or, half. You know, you, you typically okay. on manufacturing overseas, you pay for half. Uh, at first, when you place the order, you pay for the other half. Again, the manufacturer... Um, they're just, they're just small. I, I don't blame them entirely. Uh, they're great people. I've worked with them a lot, um, over the years, but I think we just outgrew, uh, what they were able to facilitate and, uh, we got a little ahead of ourselves. They got a little in deeper than they could handle. And, uh, you know, we, uh, we did the best we could and, yeah. and now we switched and now we're back on the right track. So awesome, man. Yeah. Um, okay. So those were some of the biggest ones when it's come to uh, yo, yo, mat so far or yeah, pretty much it's, it's all most of, uh, yeah, I, w- I would say only, the only headaches really that have come out of yo-yo mats because I enjoy the chase. I, I don't I don't mind the problems. Yeah. I love problem solving. I love uh, overcoming the hurdles, fixing the team, you know, rebuilding the team, figuring out who we are as a brand and as a company, as a community. Um, our real only true headaches have been on the manufacturing side. Mm. When you manufacture on the other side of the world, it's just hard to have constant tabs on everything. So it's just required uh, a lot of trips back to China. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of trips, uh, but uh, but it's it's proven to be worth it. So Actually, you just got uh, went out to China last week. Yeah, I just got back about a week and a half ago. So all yeah. the time out there, huh? Yeah, yeah. Back, I'll be going back again in about two weeks. So, yeah. Wow. Gotta love it. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's one thing I was going to say. Obviously, you're passionate about this or else each hurdle would be a headache for you. Exactly. Right? And you're I just think, like, ah, oh, do I really have to do this to do what do yo-yo mats? Exactly. And, and I think that's actually a good, uh, a good way to gauge what you're doing and what you're involved with uh, for other entrepreneurs out there is if every little problem and road bump... Uh, just totally ruins your day, ruins your life, then you're probably not in the right field. Um, for me, I, I, it doesn't. I am like, all right, well, let, you know, I love the problem solving side of it. So I love to bring my team together and be like, all right, so we got this in front of us. What do we do next? Mm-hmm. How do we fix it? I don't mind the constant trips to China because to me, every trip is a step forward. Every trip is you know, a new innovation, a new addition to the line, uh, a new thing to bring to the customer, um, mm-hmm. including the customer service calls. Like I said, um, if we do get someone who's just not entirely happy, I personally, I love, I'm like, give me the phone. Well, you know, where's their number. Let me call them because yeah. I don't think anybody, any customer is really expecting to receive a call from the guy at the top. Um, and so for me to do that, there was like, wait, this is, this is who? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, it's, we're still a small company, so don't be surprised. You know, like I'm calling <laughs> you up. I want to fix your problem. What's up? Yeah. And I, but I love doing that. It doesn't ruin my day. In fact, in fact, it, it, gets me excited. It, it makes the reason why I get up is I don't hope for problems necessarily, oh, of course but not. I do love to solve them when they come up. So what about uh, your modeling career? The hurdles when it comes to that? I mean, has it all been smooth sailing or has there been times where maybe you're on the verge of being dropped by someone? So you had to go out and look for another agency and any kind of um, issues that you've overcome like that or any I haven't mentioned. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I mean, there, again, there's, there's been a lot. And I think when you're pursuing anything as, uh, as inconsistent and as unstable as modeling or acting or even being an entrepreneur, but, uh, but for the modeling career, I mean, there's constant hit and misses as far as, uh, <laughs> figuring out who you want to work with, who you don't want to work with, who yeah. you should work with, who you don't want to work with. Definitely. Uh, and uh, I've, I've, I have been pretty lucky, uh, with agents. Um, I've, I would like to say I haven't had a bad agent. I've only had a couple though that I've managed to keep since I've started. So for my whole 10 years, I've pretty much been with roughly the same team kind of since I started. Um, And um, I'm really lucky for that fact because I know a lot of uh, people weren't able to go that route. Um, But I... 
Yeah, I mean, it was uh, any problems. Mostly it's uh, <laughs> figuring out whether I want to be the guy that uh, kind of hits it and quits it and makes some money and gets out or is able to kind of have longevity because longevity is not really something that you typically have in the modeling industry. Mm-hmm. And my thing when I got into it, I've never been much of a partier or a drinker, but as soon as I got to Milan and do all that, that's what everybody wanted to do. And I was more so like, no, I just want to build up my bank account. Like I just want to, you know, have a a, kind of a little nest egg to sit on to start a company one day. Um, And I started to realize the psychology behind that industry. And it's, it's really short lived. It's not about longevity. So I started to learn ways to, uh, to make it work for me instead. Um, And that required, getting a lot of uh, clients that I knew I could keep throughout the years, uh, having relationships with my agents uh, that I could I could keep. And hopefully, you know, they wouldn't drop me, I wouldn't drop them. Yeah. And uh, mutually beneficial. So it's kind of led me to a 10-year career roughly, you know? So yeah, <laughs> pretty pretty good. So what about the the team members that you have, you've had in the past that you lost? I mean, what were kind of the stories that came along with that? Because uh, we're like, I can I can imagine what you're talking about, but yeah, yeah. I'm sure some of the people watching might not be able to imagine what uh, issues you came up with agents or uh, campaigns or photographers or anything like that. Absolutely, I mean, I think it's uh, <laughs> it's parting ways with agents and managers and stuff like that usually comes to uh, creative differences. I guess you could say, you know, career path differences, like uh, the. The agencies that I've left or or they've left me was simply because um, they were like, well, we want you to go here and do this job or, or go to this country and work this amount of time. And for me, I had a, I had to dial it in and find the agency that worked with my long-term vision because mm-hmm. my long-term vision wasn't just to, uh, you know, hustle to exhaustion for yo-yo mats. It was to, or for the modeling industry, it was to build a foundation that I could work through for a decade or so if I needed to, to then facilitate my entrepreneurial side of things. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was differences of, yeah, of, of them wanting me to, to go live places for jobs. I didn't want to, I, I was starting a team here in LA, um, with yo-yo mats. I couldn't abandon them to go model in Asia for six months or something like that. Yeah. So I found a team that understood that agreed with it and, uh, saw the benefit of, uh, kind of allowing me to work in the industry as I wanted. And then, uh, it also brought them business too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I mean, that doesn't sound too crazy. It's not, I've honestly. Of, I've heard some crazy <laughs> stories. Like um, this one friend of mine, Caitlin Lawson, she's on Photogenics now. And uh-huh. I remember I interviewed her on my uh, college radio show a few years ago. And she went through a time where uh, she showed up to this uh, runway shoot. It was like at Santa okay. Monica or something uh-huh. like that. And, you know, girls especially have to cut weight sometimes oh, yeah. especially especially if the agency is like oh we're actually need you to go with this image now maybe they're a little bit yeah. heavier or a little bit thinner whatever the story is and she saw these girls backstage swallowing uh cotton balls and st- <laughs> to, to facilitate their stomach being more full instead yeah. of eating real food yeah and i mean I, i've heard stories on from that so it's, it's awesome knowing that like you haven't had anything crazy hit okay, you well, like that. Yeah, you know? and I mean, I can take that back to a point. So my, my myself, I haven't personally, I've witnessed plenty, yeah. right? So modeling in Milan and uh, and all these things, I, I've witnessed plenty of people, you know, the the dark side of modeling, I guess you could call it, you know, yeah. the the girls eating cotton balls. It does happen. I, I can't say it doesn't. Um, the, uh, the, 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 the drugs, you know, the, I lost, I did, I have lost out on runway shows in Europe and places because I wasn't willing to do the drugs. Um, but really? again, that like, would, like just pre runway walk or kind of, yeah. Well, no, it's like, you know, attend this party, 
with this casting director or this brand who's going to want to go get high or whatever. Yeah, exactly. And that wasn't me. So I just didn't partake. I didn't, I didn't go that direction. Um, so I think that's probably why I don't have personally as many crazy stories. Uh, but, uh, but I witnessed it. You try not to put yourself (laughs) in those situations. Exactly. I tried to just stay out of the situation, but, uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I have I have tons of stories of living abroad and crazy things happening. But that's yeah. just from living abroad. Uh, as far as the modeling industry specific, specifically, I just tried to be smart with it and use it to my advantage and not let it use me. Yeah. Um, because I did get some fair warnings from um, good people uh, in the industry before I really kind of broke into it. Of just like, be careful, you know, don't end up back in your hometown in five years uh, with no future, no job, no money because you partied everything away in, mm-hmm. with the modeling industry. Um, like I said, I wasn't much of a partier and with my dad whispering in my ear, it was kind of hard to get off track. Um, kind of pretty much everything I've ever done was uh, um, hopefully to make him proud and, and kind of stay on the, yeah. stay on the track that, that he desired for me um, and also something that I wanted. So yeah, I just tried not to put myself in those situations, I guess. I like that. I mean, I yeah. think people find themselves in some situations like that because they wonder, is this how it works? Is this what I need to do to go on to the next step. Yeah. So on and so forth. Right. I mean, that, that's what I read about and hear about a lot. Absolutely. I've, I, I mean, honestly, I've lost some friends uh, in this industry because of that, you know, they thought it was the, the, you know, quote unquote right route to go, you know, and, and you don't have any other choice. And, uh, and I, I disagree with that, um, entirely. I kind of always have, um, just because, an industry says it has to go this way or society says this is the way you got to go or any of those things. I think it's all bullshit and it's all made up and you can blaze your own path. You can figure it out as you go along and things will pull together um, for your benefit as mm-hmm. long as you're the right kind of person, putting the right energy out there and doing the right work. Um, there's no reason for you to fall off path with by someone else's uh, you know influence. Kind of like what your uh, dad was saying when you're talking about him being an inspiration about him saying that maybe uh, there isn't someone who did it this way, but you could be the first, right? Exactly, yeah. And and he really kind of tried to ingrain that in, in me and, and my brothers as well. I mean, um, you could be a similar path that someone's pursued, but... You know, because the end the model industry and all those other things, they do get kind of a bad rap for lots of reasons. Um, but you know, my dad was like, Yeah, but you can take it and make it your own. You know, yeah. use it to your advantage. I Don't like let that. it use you. Yeah. Uh, and and that's so that's what I tried to do. And and I did. I you know, I wasn't for the modeling, I wouldn't have had the uh, kind of seed money to buy my initial patent and and really start yo yo mats. Uh, so I'm thankful for it. I mean, it honestly just brought you where you are today. So Exactly, yeah. 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 Um what about any kind of uh, funnier, awkward stories that you've had while modeling or within yoga mats? Even yo, I always want to say yoga mat, yo-yo mat. Sorry. <laughs> Don't generalize it, man. Jeez. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, any like funnier, awkward stories that uh, you could think of? Uh, I saw saw you were saying something about pink snails. Yeah. Or so something. there's a funny. Yeah, there's a funny story. I was. Uh, I did go to uh, one of the agency parties in Milan. I hadn't been out there for very long. And uh, I, I, I'm, again, I'm not a drinker. I wasn't in high school. I'm not now. But uh, I had, there was a couple other uh, models out there also from the States. And so you kind of group together with people who speak the same language when you first get out there. You're just like, yeah. anybody speak English to me, you know? Uh, and we were walking home really late. The trains had shut down at this point after this club. And uh I'm walking along and, and all of a sudden, like there was four of us. And then all of a sudden there was two of us. And then all of a sudden there was one of us and it was just me. Uh, and I, I don't know where I'm going. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, 
not entirely drunk, but not entirely sober either. And disoriented in Milan, not knowing where I'm going. Oh, like someone spiked something maybe? No, no, or something no, I, no I genuinely think I was exhausted. I had just really gotten out there and I had drank and I was just like, where am I? Yeah. <laughs> and I uh, kind of had this, this moment and I was trying to find my way back to my apartment and... I don't know anything about Milan at this point. I don't know any landmarks or anything, but I do don't, remember. You, you didn't speak Italian, right? And I didn't speak Italian. And there was no one out anyway. It was like two in the morning in Milan. And uh, I remember like I'm sobering up. I'm realizing, okay, I need to find my way back and not knowing where I am. My phone doesn't work because international plans weren't quite as good on smartphones as uh, you know back then as they are now. Yeah. But I do remember when I got off the train in Milan, there were these huge art installation of these massive pink snails, right? <laughs> so kind of a funny story. I just I saw them off in the distance and I just wish someone had been like videotaping me because I literally yelled out loud like an 18-year-old kid like American in Italy and went snails and i just took <laughs> off running to the train station because yeah. i knew from there how to get to my apartment oh wow so like, i crazy. knew i could navigate it from there um so to me that was a funny story yeah like, i mean that's nerve-wracking being out in milan <laughs> with no service and not knowing where you're at so that's, yeah that, i can like totally two get in the that. morning i was just i've never been so happy to see giant pink snails <laughs> <laughs> so that's kind of a, ends up being a go-to story sometimes yeah uh, well <laughs> anything uh funny with yoga master or anything or has this been uh pretty smooth on that side uh, uh, no, it's it's not necessarily been smooth, but uh, um, no real significant, huge, funny moments or anything. Um, I, I, no, just, you know, the, the there's been ups and downs, but it's all been a fun ride. Yeah. I honestly wouldn't single out anything as like, uh, oh, this really sucked. Like, because I've loved every step of it. I yeah. really genuinely have. Um, me and my business partners, we fight. Uh, it's fine. Uh, we always get over the hurdles and, and come out stronger. Uh but besides those containers being defective and kind of having to figure out a new brand direction there, uh, it hasn't been, uh, hasn't been too, uh, you know, too, too, no real crazy stories to talk about, unfortunately. Yeah. Just digging a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, man. I mean, successful modeling career, pushing 10 years now. I got to ask, what's the workout routine? Because we see those veins busting out of your shirt. What's up? <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that the whole audience wants to know what's up with that. And I'll probably plug one of your shows picks somewhere around here. Oh so we got that. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, now it, it's evolved. You know what I mean? Originally when I started, it was, it was basic, just weightlifting with my dad. Just, I was the skinny kid, by the way. I was never the kid that was easy to build muscle or anything. I was always the skinniest one in the class, the skinniest one on the football team, definitely skinnier than both my older brothers. Um, but it was just weight training in the beginning. And then that evolved. I became kind of a runner for quite a while. Yeah. Uh, and now it's it's a combination of weightlifting and yoga, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, yeah. I mean, got to now. Uh, so a lot of hot yoga. Now you got to do yoga forever. Exactly. I know, right? Uh, a lot of hot yoga. Uh, at actually core power yoga. And then uh, just uh, weight training about six days a week. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, hot yoga mixed in there. But uh, for me, it's nothing... I don't do anything that uh, I, I enjoy the weightlifting and the exercise part of things. Yeah. So for me, it's like, uh, I don't feel that I got to force myself to go to the gym. I'm at the gym uh, about 6 a.m. every day. Um, that's just because my gym only opens at 6 a.m. If it opened up at 5 or 5.30, I'd probably be there then. Yeah. I just like to get it done first thing in the morning. Uh, and then, uh, and then yeah, I go about my day and I just can't really start my day without going to the gym for at least an hour. Yeah. And in, <laughs> in terms of like the actual like workout terminology, like what's your, uh, what's your split? Like what, um, 
I don't know. Walk me through like wh- what's the cycle that you're going through? You're uh, looking for a personal training session right now. No, That's what you're I mean, looking <laughs> <laughs> you know, some people want to know what's up with the uh, 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 <laughs> the I mean, formula you get, here. You get technical with it. Uh, not not super technical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like if you just say push, pull, legs, chest, like that kind of thing. Gotcha. Not yeah. too, we don't have to get too specific too specific you guys can uh, <laughs> ask him for some consulting if you want that yeah exactly yeah, yeah. Uh, go hit up my my instagram uh Athor 13 you'll find uh most of the workouts you, actually you, listed on there do you do any kind of personal training like i don't i used stuff? to be certified uh, i just kind of got certified because i wanted the knowledge and yeah. then i did some like online training years and years ago uh like six or seven years ago now, but, uh, but no, uh, not anymore. I okay. do post most of my workouts because my followers ask, they're like, Oh, will you write me a plan when you do this? So I started a little highlight. Actually, if you go to my Instagram, you'll see a lot of my workouts are already programmed in there. Yeah. Um, so people can chime in and watch it. Uh, okay. Cool. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's basically push pull to kind of answer your question. Um, I do abs and calves, uh, every other day I just rotate those two and then major muscle parts. I'll do like biceps, triceps, back, chest, legs, shoulders, mm-hmm. and that'll be my week. And then mixed in with some yoga um, and then also paddleboarding just because I enjoy paddleboarding. Oh yeah, definitely. <laughs> that's good. For, that's good for the core and balance. Yeah, too. exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you don't do any cardio row. It's just yoga. And no, because of the hot yoga. I mean the hot yoga, if you've, you said you just tried it and you almost yeah. died. But yeah. I don't know how many of the listeners or viewers out there have tried it. I didn't know if that um, really applied to cardio so much or not, but I guess because it's a long session, it's like 40 minutes to an hour, right? Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. maybe you're a champ at it, but to me, I'm breathing pretty heavy while I'm doing it. You know, yeah. it's like, it's exhausting. I'm sweating. I, and uh, And for me, I don't, I used to be a runner and then my knees kind of started having problems and stuff. So I try to stay away from like actual running. I enjoy cycling or the paddle boarding or the hot yoga, but I get my cardio in there. Um, when, when did you uh, start facing the knee issues? Cause I just recently started running like, I don't know, like four miles every other day. And I kind of want to yeah. like, I kind of like it, especially running the hills uh-huh. and everything. Yeah. Uh, I originally started uh, doing the Ragnar relays. Have you heard those? It's uh, they take place all over the place, but the one I did was uh, in Southern California and it's a 12 man team and you run essentially for like 48 or 72 hours constantly, but someone's always running. You're not running the whole time. Oh, I was like, good God. on your team. So you're in a <laughs> yeah. van and you literally go from checkpoint to checkpoint in the van and a runner will run for like a 12 mile leg and then they'll get in the van and a new runner will hop out. And then the person I just ran will take a nap or something. Exactly. And you just spend like three days in this van with your buddies and you run. And I got into that with, with my brother who's in the Marines actually. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's where I first started to, but honestly, it was just a lack of knowledge is why my knees started kind hurting i didn't i just bought nikes thinking they were great running shoes and then mm. they weren't so it was stuff i i had to learn i was just uh young and, and thought i'll just run forever you know I'm yeah a champ and and now that i've uh i've gotten a little bit older and learned things i'm like oh if i had just done that differently i probably wouldn't have uh you know almost blown out a knee but yeah uh, what would you recommend people like in terms of shoes like just something with like a good sole or when it comes to long-term running or? uh yeah i've actually i've come into favoring adidas over nike uh yeah. sorry nike <laughs> but uh but i have hopefully I just, they never sponsor yoga mat I know, mats. right exactly <laughs> Uh, but I, uh, I, I just, as far as a running shoe goes, I feel that they just make a better one, better support, better arch support. Yeah. Yeah. And that's key when it comes to, uh, for me, it is. I, I have high arches. So like it kind of, if I don't have the arch support there, it'll destroy just me and my running form in general. Yeah. So that's, that's the shoe I go for. Not, 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 uh, not to say it's for everybody, but right. for me. Well, everyone rewind, take notes. Cause you have his uh, workout split now. <laughs> Courtesy of Aaron. There you go. <laughs> All right, cool. Um, I wanted to ask you this. It's super, you know, philosophical. I mean, it's not uh, that crazy, but what uh, what has been your most proud moment so far and through this whole experience of your life? Uh, 
it was a couple moments. So first it was getting the patent approved. It was finally, I think it's that bit of validation that you're like, I, I did do it, you know, like, like I did invent something that was good enough to be owned by me. And then it was sharing that news with my dad, who was the mm-hmm. co-inventor on it. He was 57 when he passed. So he was about uh, 54-ish, I guess, when he got the news um, that we had the patent approved. And to hear like at that age, to be able to help him realize a dream, that was uh, that was one of my proudest moments. And then also being able to kind of tell him, soon you'll be able to stop doing construction. You know, my dad was always the guy who uh, took in kids that weren't his and took care of them. You know, him and my mom both, you know, I don't sing, I'm talking a lot about my dad, but my mom is an amazing woman as well. Uh, And she's, uh, her and my dad both, uh, are always, always together, always married. And uh, to be able to tell him like, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, now you get to kind of enjoy what you do for a living and, uh, and really getting the patent approved and then letting him know that that, we were getting to that point where he was going to get to come work for the company. Um, we're probably two of my proudest moments for sure. It's amazing. Yeah. I can't even like fathom what that would feel like to tell your dad, you're going to be able to quit soon. I, I got you. <laughs> that was always I got us as DJ Khaled would yeah, say. I know, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. That was always, uh, that was always the goal. And, and at least I was able to kind of uh, show him that and, and stuff before, before he passed. But yeah, uh, but he's still here. Uh, you know, I said, I got the, got the tattoo. So uh, yeah, you know, he's, he's here for every step of it. What about, uh, yeah. we didn't talk much about your mom. How's your mom been an influence through this? Uh, <laughs> through everything, through this, through everything. Yeah. I mean, she's huge. She's, uh, she's a caregiver, uh, to, to the core. I mean, she, uh, <laughs> she's, she definitely was a little bit more reluctant. Like, you know, uh, her youngest son, Aaron's like leaving the nest, going to go do all this crazy stuff. Not that she wasn't supportive because she was, she was super supportive. My dad was more like, go on, get it. My mom was like, be careful, come back to me, you know? Yeah. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, my mom has got the biggest heart and soul of anybody. My dad was definitely more of the drive and like, go after it, go get it. Yeah. Um, but my mom, I mean, even to this day, it's like, you know, you talk about yo-yo mats or show her one of the mile markers and she'll just, you know, kind of quietly tear up and, and, uh, and you, that's how, you know, you know, she's proud. Um, so she's still a huge influence for me, uh, every day. And also my driving force now, I mean, without my dad, it's just a matter of, uh, helping her, you know, and, and, uh, everything that my dad put into yo-yo mats is now she's getting to, uh, kind of reap the benefit of. So that's, that's the goal is still to get it to a point where then she's also taken care of. Uh, yeah, for him of course. Because that's why he wanted to do it. You know, he always wanted to retire her and buy her a, a house on the beach. So hopefully yo-yo mats will still be able to do that for her. <laughs> that's awesome. Now you yeah. get to take his place, his place for that, right? Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any advice for anyone out there that maybe has an idea, but hasn't brought it to fruition yet? Or, um, they, they just been sitting on something that they can't get out of their head, but they don't know where quite to start, maybe with business or some branding kind of thing, or any advice that you have with that? Stop sitting on it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if, I feel like everyone has this kind of, uh, I need to have it perfect mentality, right? Not at all. Yeah. No, everybody, you're right. Everybody does. Uh, and I hear that a lot. Um, yeah. people are like, but I just don't know if it's in this and you got to stop the questioning. Like it's great to question. And I still question everything we do with yo-yo mats constantly, but you can't let that questioning stop you from making the leap. At some point you just have to make the leap. You just got to put it out there, show the public. Um, if it's an idea, you got to see if you can patent it, stop sitting on it. Cause someone else is going to beat you to market. And I think that's another thing with uh, Kickstarter and Indiegogo and apps and the way that they just get pumped out nowadays. You cannot wait anymore. If you have a good idea or you think you've got something that people might uh, be interested in, you got to run with it. You got to put it out. You got to talk to people. Um, so yeah, just, would you agree to say you never quite feel ready to make that leap? Absolutely. 
Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Like I said, like, one of my have biggest... you ever had that a moment where like we are ready to go? It is perfect. Or were you just like, okay, no. yeah, we just got to <laughs> do this now? Not at all. Like I said, even with the Kickstarter, as dialed in as we were and the influencers we had on our team, it was still the most nerve wracking thing to push that button because. I mean, I, I wanted to stop and go, but, oh, but we should go do this. Or, well, the product's not, not here yet, like in this way, or this needs to be redesigned. And it's like, just hit the button. You just got to hit the button eventually. Um, and then roll with the punches and fix it later. Again, you're going to mess up constantly. If you have a, uh, a business that's uh, kind of relies on customers, then don't worry about messing up for your customers because they do not care if you mess up or how big you mess up. They only care about how you recover. Um, so yeah. that's been my biggest thing. That's why I do the customer service phone calls. That's why I try to deal with them as best as I can face to face because we're going to keep messing up. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> but we will fix it every time. So would you uh, recommend everyone to try to jump to getting a patent kind of like you did or uh, just case by case basis, really? Case by case. I mean, I've had many good ideas. I am so thankful I never patented. Because be a lot they of money if you good patent idea. every good idea you have, right? That's the thing. Uh, and they really weren't good ideas. I thought they were good ideas. The sketch In the sketchbook, they looked like good ideas. But yeah. looking back, I flipped through it and I'm like... I've never smoked weed, but was I high when I wrote that down? Because <laughs> that's genuinely terrible. And it's if I had paid an attorney to do a search for me, I would have realized it's not patented. But at that time in my life, I would have been like, yeah, it's not patented. When in reality, it's like, there's a reason it's not patented. Like yeah. no one's going to want it. So I, I really do think it's about research. I mean, I, uh, I, I, I did. I, I researched as much as possible to make sure there was a fit in the marketplace for what I was doing. Um, so just make educated leaps. I, I do not think anyone should take a blind leap. I don't believe in that. I don't think it makes any sense. Make an educated leap. Educate yourself as much as you can and then jump. But at least you know you did the best you could with your research and with your fact finding and everything. And then if you fuck up, at least you can say you did the best you could as far as, you know, preparing yourself for it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I completely agree with that. And I like that you're kind of advising, don't just jump to the patent side of things. No, not at all. Yeah. Not at all. I, a lot of people kind of call their initial product they put out that uh, minimal viable product, you know? And yeah. was your proto... What did yours look like? My prototypes? Yeah, I mean, like like the first product, <laughs> we're like, okay, this could work. Uh, yeah. And I maybe mean, you found some um, demand for it off of that product. I, I mean... Uh, for yo-yo mats, you mean? Like for that prototype originally? Yeah. 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 So originally, I uh, I still have the first one that never worked. I guess that's what I'm asking. Like, what did it look like when you first realized, okay, let's kick this into production. Let's really do it. It looked very different than it does today. That's yeah. for sure. I mean, it looked handmade because it was. Um, but at the same time, it was fully functional. So I was able to take that prototype and I would just start using it in yoga classes. I wouldn't tell people I was using it. I wouldn't anything. I would just use it and then see if anybody noticed when I rolled it up at the end of class or when I was carrying out the door and it was like this perfect roll. Everyone else had these huge <laughs> unfurled yoga mats they were trying to stuff in a bag. Um, and that was a little bit of my market research at the beginning. It yeah. was with, I didn't want to show people that exact prototype because it was ugly. It was terrible. It glue everywhere. It wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was enough to kind of gauge people's responses. And Did that's you get I, some of those like, what is that? Or Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I would, I, I had business cards that I made purposely just so I didn't have to really show them the prototype because it was so bad. It looked great rolled up. You don't yeah. want to roll it out. It was, it was pretty ugly. So I would, uh, I would give them a business card and be like, well, reach out. We're going to be selling soon, you know, okay. uh, and, and stuff like that. But then over time we perfected the handmade prototypes and then I would actually go to classes and, and show it to people and tell them we were getting ready to sell. Um, in my hopes we were, we were about a year out at that point, a year or two even out, but I was, that was my market research. That was me 
getting it actually in front of customers and, and seeing what they thought. And yoga, everybody from yoga instructors to the people sitting in the class were like, where can we buy one? Yeah. And in hearing that enough times, I knew I had something. Mm-hmm. So then you kicked it in the gear and started looking at production. Exactly. Right? Yeah. But also mm-hmm. that was also the time I was waiting for that patent to be approved. Definitely. So I didn't want to talk about it too much, but at the same time, I wanted to make sure I didn't just invest all my savings in something that wasn't going to do anything. But you, you saw some demand before you went to patent, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I thought I did. I, yeah. you know, I, I saw people struggling with yoga mats and, and it, to me, it was frustrating at that time. You know, Nike was coming out with shoes that'll track your steps, you know, watches will read your heart rate, but your yoga mat wasn't evolving ever since it was invented. It was just a big floppy piece of material. It didn't make any sense for me. I was like, well, it should stay rolled. It should lay flat and it should roll itself out. Like, why not? Um, So to me, there was an obvious need in the market, uh, but it was also did require a bit of educating people. You have to show people the problem in order for them to realize that they have that problem sometimes. Mm -hmm. Like in our marketing, you'll see people fumbling with, you know, the, the regular, you know, yeah. yoga mats, uh, because then they go, Oh shit, I do do that. Don't I? Or I do re-roll my mat every time I take out the trunk of my car. Like, yeah. and you kind of have to show them the problem that they encounter every single day in order for them to realize that they need the solution. Because you might ask somebody, well, do you hate your yoga mat? And they go, Oh no, I love my yoga mat. I love my Manduka yoga mat. And you're like, but does it do all these features that the yoga mat does? And they go, Oh yeah, I need a yo-yo mat. There you know, so go. you kind of got to show them exactly what they're yeah. struggling with every day. Cause you do something enough and even if it's a problem in your life, you don't really realize it's a problem. Definitely. No, I I totally get it. I mean, there's things, that's how inventions come out in general. It's like, you don't realize you really have that need until that new flashy thing is out. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you always get the naysayers too. I mean, we got plenty of those on our Kickstarter, the internet trolls. They love to come out of the woodwork. Uh, Well, people aren't into change in general too. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. The majority of people. (laughs) A lot aren't. Yeah. A lot aren't. Uh, so, you know, you get your struggle with those, but uh, most of the time it doesn't matter. You yeah. know, most of the time it's literally just that. It's an internet troll who just wants to put some bad vibes out there. Uh, <laughs> and at the end of the day, uh, you know, if you have proven market research, the public will love your product. What about the future of yo-yo mats? What can we look out for? What's on the horizon? Yeah. So uh, like I said, we just got back from China a little bit ago and I'm getting ready to go back out there. So we're switching our uh, kind of TPE based material to a rubber. um, And we're coming out with that this fall, as well as we'll be going into core power yogas uh, and anthropologies. And then we got a couple other big partnerships that we can't talk about just yet, but you'll definitely be seeing us uh, more mainstream than ever come this fall and then into the Christmas season. Uh, So, uh, so yeah, just uh, stay in tune. It'll be some big things this fall. Awesome. And yeah. uh, if you want to, you know, tell the audience about maybe like your website, and your socials, where they can find these awesome yo-yo mats. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so kind of the, the hub to go to would be uh, yoyomats.com. Uh, we're also sold on Amazon, House, The Gromit, Fancy, uh, hsn.com. Uh, I go on there about every six months to sell the mats. So also keep your eye out for the schedule uh, with HSN because I do go on air and, and sell them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then our uh, our Instagram, if you want to give us a follow, is uh, yoyo underscore mats. And then yoyo mats on Twitter and as well as Facebook. Awesome. Yeah. All right, well... They'll go check all that out. And man, it's been an awesome time. (laughs) Yeah, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Of course, man. I'm super excited for the future of yo-yo mats and to buy my own one day. I was going to say, we got to get you guys some uh, some yo-yo mats. We were were doing hot yoga (laughs) the other day and... You know, I've definitely seen the knee, especially when it's all sweaty. I mean, it'd be cool to have a self-rolling mat. Well, there you go. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Let's hook it up. That was Aaron Thorne. Stay posted for what he's got going on with yo-yo mats. He's got a lot of cool styles coming out. Dude is super successful. And I can't wait to see what happens with him and yo-yo mats in the future. 
Anyways, uh, stay posted for next week. Chats with Max. I just want to thank you guys for listening, and I'll see you next week, all right?